I'm, I'm really, really excited about this series because of the fact that um, we're talking about our future. We're talking about something that I really believe that is going to outlast all of us. It has the ability to go beyond what we do here today. It has the ability to outlive this life at the end of the day. And uh, what I mean by that is there's simply two ways that we can choose to live life. Um, here in this world, we can choose to live life for ourselves, or we can actually choose to live life for something that is greater than us, something that will outlive us. I don't know about this. I don't know if you know this or not, but at the end of the day, um, one day you will expire. One day they will put you in a casket. One day they will put you in the ground and your life will be over. But the truth is, the way that I want, the, or the place that I want to get us to today is that we can think way beyond that. That we can think way beyond where we're at right now. And we can go and look into the future and say, when I'm dead and gone, what can I leave behind? Is there a legacy that I can leave behind? I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of churches that have longevity, but they don't have a legacy. And here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of churches that have buildings that are empty. And they have a lot of history. They've got a lot of cool artifacts. I've, I've got to travel all over Europe. And you walk into these huge, massive cathedrals. And they're beautiful. And they have all these artifacts. And they're so excited to talk about the longevity of this church. But when you look at the life of it, it's dead. And uh, one of the points that I want to make this morning is here at this church, we're not about longevity, we're about a legacy. And what I mean by that is we're more interested in leaving something behind than just being a church that lasts for a long time. Because at the end of the day, like my dad said last week, he said, you know, we're about the next generation, we're about the future generation. When we dive into this series, I want you to be thinking about your kids and your kids' kids and their kids' kids. What are we going to leave behind for them? See, when I get into this mindset, and hopefully I can help bring you there throughout this series, when I get into this mindset, I begin to realize, man, that there is more to this life than just this life. There's so much more to it. So before I dive into the rest of this message, let me just pray. Father God, I thank you for what you want to do throughout this series. God, I pray that this morning that you would speak to us. Whatever preconceived notions that we have, whatever walls we built up, God, whatever anxieties that we have of maybe coming into a church for the first time and not really knowing what's going to happen, God, I just pray whatever our predisposition is, God, that you would just meet us there. God, that you would have your way throughout this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, we're talking about a legacy. We're talking about something that is going to outlive you and I. You know, when I think about this series, I think about my children. I think about, uh, I've got Isaac who's sitting in the front seat here, who's my second to all this with the little light-up hat. And I think about him. I think about one day, like when, when I, I can no longer work up the strength to get on this stage and preach, that, man, I think about my boys I think about my girls and the kind of people that they will become and what kind of legacy will their dad leave behind. And the truth is it's so easy, it's so easy to forget about that mindset because the world that we live in today is all about the here and now. It's all about self-gratification, it's all about how we can please ourselves now, how we can make ourselves comfortable now. And to be honest with ourselves, we forget about the future. 
But I want to read a passage in Scripture, and if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of John, and we're going to open it up in chapter 12. But um, if you don't have a Bible, I just want to always remind you we're always alive on the YouVersion Bible app. So we always have all the scriptures and all the notes. You can go on that YouVersion Bible app. You just click events. You'll see Our Savior Church Crowley underneath there. And you can click on that and you can always follow along with us. But I want to read a passage in scripture. And um, it happens in all three of the Gospels. And are all, not all, it happens in three of them and not one of them. But you see this story, and I think it's kind of an obscure story that we don't talk about a lot, but there's something interesting that happens in it. And I want to paint the scene for you. So it says this picking up in verse 1, John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Anybody remember Lazarus? Lazarus was the guy that was dead for almost four days and Jesus raised him from the dead. So Lazarus is at that house. So just paint the scene. There's a dude sitting in a recliner who was just dead four days ago and now he's eating with everybody else. So just keep that in mind. So where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now, let me paint the scene here, what's going on. They're all at this house. You got Jesus, you got the disciples, you got a man who was literally just raised from the dead, and they're just having a big get-together. They're having a celebration, like Lazarus was dead, but now Jesus raised him to life, and they're all sitting around like many of us would in southwest Louisiana. They're, just imagine it, they're eating some crawfish or something. Okay, they're all sitting around a table. They're just enjoying each other's company. They're celebrating that Lazarus is alive. They're just having a good time. They're eating some food. Maybe a football game is on the TV. It's a great evening. And it says, Now Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment or perfume made from pure nard. We don't, we don't have nard anymore. Um, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I want to point something out. Um, Prior to, in John chapter 11, Jesus actually starts telling everybody, he starts prophesying about his death. Um, And nobody in the room really understood what Jesus was talking about. But Mary actually took the time to really listen to Jesus, to ponder it, to think about what he was really saying. And she realizes, while everybody is sitting around, just relaxing, celebrating Lazarus, she realizes, oh my goodness, Jesus is saying that he's going to die. And so she runs back into her room and she grabs this perfume and it says she cracks the bottle open and she pours this perfume all over his feet. And she begins to wipe it with her hair and it says the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. Now, but Judas, the Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, so this was Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus for three shekels of silver, he says this, Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, how many of you guys know every time you try to go do something good, there's always going to be somebody that's going to criticize you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So so Judas looks at Mary and he's going, what in the world were you thinking? You You just broke open a jar of perfume and this jar of perfume was so... Um, valuable back in that day, the the scriptures will tell us in just a moment that it was actually worth an entire year's salary. 
That's how expensive it was. So imagine, total up everything that you make in one year, and that's how expensive this perfume was. So Mary has cracked that perfume. She's spilled it all over Jesus' feet, and she begins to anoint his body because she realizes, okay, I'm trying to make this generous gesture like Jesus. I want to give everything to you because I know that you're about to die. And you have Judas who's saying, I I can't believe you did this. Why didn't you just give that, sell that perfume and go on and give it to the poor? He tries to act all religious in that moment, like he's so good, right? And this is what happens. The story continues in Mark. It says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. I love that. I love that line because so many times I think Jesus gets misconstrued. In the New Testament, we always see Jesus as somebody who's like, you know, you've seen this church, like Jesus is my homeboy, or like Jesus is like just this nice guy. He's always like this figure who's like, <laughs> like that's how many of us see Jesus, right? But all of a sudden you see this moment where Jesus stands up for Mary. He says, hey, Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone. He says, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he says this, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Now, if you, if you have a Bible or you're following along on the app, underline this part. I love what he says here. He says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I want you to watch something here. If, if you read over it too quick, you're going to miss it. Jesus says the generous act that Mary did by cracking open this bottle of perfume, he says, listen, as long as the gospel is preached, people will talk about what you did here today. People will talk about what you did here today. And, and listen, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this Mary who cracked open this bottle of perfume and poured it on to Jesus' feet. Still talking about it. See, Mary had a legacy mindset. I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to do what I can because I love Jesus so much, I'm going to pour out my life. For his kingdom. See, this passage of scripture is a picture ultimately of extravagant love. Mary is saying, Listen, Jesus, I love you so much that I am willing to lay aside everything that I have, all of my possessions, to, to make this moment, to make this mark in history to say, No matter what, I am for you. Throughout this series, I want you to ask yourself this question What can I do? To give to the kingdom of God. See, when you're captured by love, you do things. I don't know if you know this, but love causes us to do something. When you love somebody, it causes an action. So so let me explain this. When I first fell in love with Claire, um, it caused me to do things that I would have never necessarily done ever before. I remember I was the shy, like awkward, weird kid in school, and the thought of asking a girl on the date on a date would like I would go into panic. You know what I mean? And, and so I remember the first time I was about fourteen years old, and, and Claire and I have been together for a long time, and um, 
I was about 14 years old, and, and if you're old enough, you'll remember this, but I was like, man, I, I got to, like, I've got to get with this girl. I, I've got to ask her on a date or something, like something has got to happen. And I remember we're at church one time, and I just walk, <laughs> it was so weird. I'd planned it all out in my head. You know how you have it all planned out? Okay, I'm going to do this. We're going to have this kind of conversation. And I remember just walking up to her. I was like, hey, can I get your AIM address? <laughs> And I just walked off. I didn't even wait for her to give it to me. I was so scared. I was like, uh, remember, anybody remember like AOL, Instant Messenger, AIM? It was like the first like gesture of romance that I had towards my wife. I was like, hey, can I, yo girl, can I get your AIM? <laughs> but when you're in love, you do crazy things, right? When you love somebody, it causes an action. I remember being in college when I was dating Claire, like I would stay up till 3 a.m. talking to her on the phone, and she, man, she could talk. <laughs> but you, st- you do crazy things. You stay up late at night. I remember I, there was a season where I was living in Lafayette, and she was in Jennings, and she would come meet me, and then she, she wouldn't even get home until 5 a.m. in the morning and then go to school the next day. We did crazy things because... We loved each other. I pretended to watch sappy movies with her and enjoy them, right? She's like, wasn't that movie amazing? I was like, yeah, I don't remember anything that happened, but it was awesome, babe. When you love somebody, you're compelled to do something. I remember when I proposed to my wife, I actually proposed to my wife in Paris, South Africa. We were going on a, on a missions trip, and I remember I had, to, I had to do so many things to hide the ring from her. So my, my wife is like, she could be like an investigative reporter. I can never surprise her. She always figure out, figures out everything that's going to happen. I remember I went to great lengths to hide the ring. I, I remember we went to South Africa, and I, I bought out this whole restaurant so that she could come in, and I proposed to her there, and we did all these crazy things. Why? Because I loved her. Because I was willing to do anything that I could to win her over. At the end of the day, love causes us to do something. So so let me tell you this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you love Jesus enough to do something? Do we love Jesus enough where it propels us into action? And see, the reason that I think that we have so many bored Christians and so many Christians just so um, discontent within Christianity is because we're not fully in love with Jesus. We've come to a place where it's just become boring. It's just become something that we're trying to do because if we're just honest, we don't want to go to hell. So we just enter into this relationship hoping that it will work out. But you see, Mary was so in love with Jesus that she poured an entire bottle of perfume that was worth an entire year's wages. Why? She said, man, I know Jesus is about to die and I want to do something generous. I want to do something kind for him. See, Mary made a sacrificial decision, a decision that said, I'm willing to give my life to you, Jesus. And I want you to notice something. Because she made that one decision, one decision, this is Jesus' words to her. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told forever. See, at the end of the day, that's what I want you to think about when you think about your life. 
What is the one act of generosity? What is the one thing that you can give your life to that when you're dead and gone that people are still talking about it? Because you made a sacrifice. I mean, I look at my dad and I look at my parents and um, and people see the three campuses now and Jennings, Eunice, and Crowley and say, man, it must be awesome to be at where you guys are at. And I, I was able to get a front row seat to see how hard it was. And like for the first almost 12 years in Jennings, it just, man, it, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it was like people came and people left and people came and then people left. And I remember seeing my, I remember my, seeing my dad being discouraged and just saying, you know what, I'm not giving up. We're going we're gonna to drive a stake here in the ground. And now you see it for what it is today and families being touched and lives being healed I mean, because he's leaving a legacy that one day when I'm dead and gone, that there will be something that outlives me. See, when you give or you serve, you're choosing to think kingdom rather than self. You're choosing to think, okay, my life was created for something more than me just going and getting a job. And just getting married and having a few kids and hopefully I can retire with a huge nest egg in my bank account. Like there's more to life than that. At the end of the day, like you were created to make an eternal impact here on this earth. That your life was made to make a difference. I think if anything that I want you to leave with is like, don't waste the one and only life that God has given you. Like make every second, every moment, every day count that you have an opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life. See, Mary's decision began to change the atmosphere around her. I mean, you have two people in the story, Judas, who's being negative. Like, why didn't you just give that bottle of perfume to the poor? And then Jesus looks over at him. He says, hey, you, you shut up. <laughs> I stand with Mary. See, I love it when, when she decided to do something outside of herself. Jesus said, okay, I'll stand with that. I'll be with Mary in that. See, I want to ask you a question as a church because we have a decision to make throughout this series. We can look at Acadia Parish, we can look at Crowley, and we can start naming off a particular list of things that it's known for. We mentioned it a little bit in the video. Man, it could be known for pride, it could be known for poverty, it could be known for prejudice, it could be known for the war on drugs, it could be known for all sorts of things. There's all kinds of invisible lines within this city, isn't there? You know, or if you're this color, you don't go on that side. And if you think about this way, you don't associate with those. I hate those lines. Jesus never looked at the gospel and said, okay, let me draw a line down the middle. These people go here, these people go here, these people go here. At the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And so we have an opportunity to look at this city and say, what can we do to make a difference? What can we do to change Acadia Parish? What can we do to change the city of Crowley? What can we do to see racial divides begin to fall down? What can we do to help those that are poor and those that are struggling and those that are hurting? But we'll never get to that place unless you personally can come to a place where you think kingdom rather than self. Kingdom rather than self. See, it's not about longevity. It's about leaving a legacy. You know, one day, and within the next few weeks, hopefully I'll be able to stand up here and tell you some of the things that we've been working on with a, a building and stuff like that. But you know what? To be honest with you, 
and I'm just being frank, like, I don't care at the end of the day what kind of building we get into. We can say, oh man, look what we've built. At the end of the day, that does not excite me. It excites me to get into a more permanent location, but at the end of the day, that, that's not the legacy that I want to leave. Oh, look at this building that we built, and we got a sign on it now, and we can call it OSC. At the end of the day, I want to leave a legacy that says, this was a church that really loved this city and loved people, and people's lives were changed. That's the legacy that we want to leave at the end of the day. But that's only going to happen when we, as a church, can step outside of ourselves and we think about the legacy that we're leaving behind. You see, Mary understood that Jesus loved her with an extravagant love, and the only response that she could have was to extravagantly love him in return. I don't know about you, but when you fall in love with Jesus, I mean like really fall in love with Jesus, the only response that you can have is love. And the only response that you have is to do something in return. Now, throughout this series, or throughout this story, we see a series of choices that are made by Judas and by Mary. I want you to understand something. They were both in the same environment. Judas was with Jesus and Mary was with Jesus, but they both had completely different choices that they made. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about Judas's first. Judas was a controller. He was a controller. He had a controlling spirit that did not allow the story to play out. What I mean by this, he, he wanted to control the situation. Mary, go put the perfume back. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. He, he said, no, I don't want to see how this plays out. Like, see, Jesus didn't, Judas didn't know that Jesus was, going to look at Judas, or Jesus was going to look at Mary and say, hey, what you did here today, we will remember it as long as the gospel is preached. Jesus, Judas didn't have that mindset. He was controlling. No, save the perfume. We can give it to the poor later. See, I just think that, honestly, in that moment, Judas could have cared less about the poor. It was more about just being religious and saying, I'll pretend like I have a good answer and say, give it to the poor. When in reality, he, couldn't, he could have cared less about the poor. And that actually, this is proven throughout the scriptures, because Judas was actually the one that held the money bag for Jesus. And there's constant accounts without the scripture where he was constantly dipping his own hand into the money bag and robbing it. He could have cared less about the poor. He just wanted to try to control the outcome. Judas was also, in the story, he was a complainer. He compl- I can't believe you just broke this perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. Do you know how much that is worth? Let me fill you in on something. Every single time, every time that you go out and you do the right thing and you choose to follow what God has told you to be, there's always going to be somebody that's going to hate on you. Always. There's always going to be somebody that is going to be a critic. There's always going to be somebody that complains about the good thing that you are trying to do. You know what I've learned over the course of my life is stop complaining about those that are complaining about you because you just give them more power anyway when you do that. So you know what you've got to rest in? Man, I'm just confident in what God's called me to do, so I'm going to sit in that. And that's what I love about this story. Mary, she didn't even listen to Judas. He didn't even affect her decision at all. So he was a controller. He was a complainer. We also see that he was a consumer. I find this to be interesting because Judas 
had so much fear about tomorrow that he became a thief. Think about that for a moment. Judas feared so much about tomorrow that he was constantly for three years in the presence of Jesus, who was the ultimate provider. I mean, Judas, with his own eyes, saw Jesus multiply the bread and loaves and the fish and feed the 5,000. He saw Jesus open blind eyes, but yet he still worried so much about tomorrow he felt the need to steal money. Although he was constantly around the provider. Why? Because he was a consumer. At the end of the day, Judas had a self-mindset rather than a kingdom mindset. Hey, I don't know. I don't have enough money to provide for myself tomorrow. So so what am I going to do? I just need, I don't trust God. So I need to take this money now. And here's the truth. Judas's story ends tragically. He denies Jesus. The end of his life, the last thing that is mentioned about him is he hangs himself. His story ends tragically. There's no great story to tell. There's nothing to leave behind. And there's no legacy. Why? Because he was so consumed with self. It was all about him. The gospel was never about the kingdom. Being with Jesus was never about serving other people and stepping outside of ourselves. For him, it was just a quick fix. I'll just be around Jesus because hopefully I can, you know, I can get some points. I can move up the ladder and you know, ultimately Jesus will accept me. But because of this mindset, there was nothing that was left behind. So we see he was a controller, he was a complainer, he was a consumer. Now, I want you to keep in mind something. Same environment, but Mary makes a completely different choice. The first thing that we see, she's caring. She notices something that nobody else notices in the room. She notices that Jesus is prophesying about his death, and she takes notice. And she says, wait, oh, hold on. I don't have a whole lot, but I do have some perfume." I do have something that I can give to Jesus. He's, t- he's talking about his death. Like, what can I do? What can I do to make an impact in this moment, in this situation? You know what I've learned about generosity over the past few years? It is it unlocks the voice of God. It unlocks the voice of God. See, if you're having a hard time hearing from God, try Generosity. Try giving yourself away to other people. Because what it does is ultimately you step into what God is for. And God says, hey, I'm with that. And he begins to speak clear. So she was caring. We also see that she was a a contributor. Meaning that she didn't cling to her stuff. Mary didn't value the possessions far more than Jesus. Man, how easy is it to get sucked into that consumer mindset? It's so easy. It's so easy to get sucked into the what you have and what you own, and we want more and we want more and we want more. But you see, Mary decided to be a contributor. She gave what she could. She did what she could. And because she valued the kingdom more than her stuff, what happens? This leads me to the third thing. She created a lasting legacy. 
because she valued Jesus, the kingdom of God, over herself, she left something behind that would outlive her. We're almost 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Sermons are still being told all over the world about this woman who broke this perfume bottle over Jesus' feet. She left a legacy. She's dead and she's gone and she's with Jesus today, but at this moment, we're still talking about her. She left something behind. Yet again, Jesus' words to her, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, Mary's life impacted eternity. Mary's life made a difference. What she did made a difference. What did she do? It was one simple act of generosity. To step outside of herself, to think of someone else beyond her. Now, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. A lot of us allow our environment to dictate our trust in Jesus. Now, now, now let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. You say, well, I don't have a whole lot to give. I don't have a big bank account, or I don't know where I can serve, or I don't know what I can do. See, what Jesus said, it was never about the amount that she gave. What did he say? He said, she did what she could. And I think a lot of times, so many of us allow our environment, the place, the situation that we find ourselves in now, to hold us back. Well, when I'm at a better place, then I can do. You know, when I'm at a better place, then I can serve. Or when I'm at a better place financially, then I can give. Then I can do these things. And we allow the environment to dictate our commitment and our trust to Jesus. Let me explain this to you for a moment. Um... In 2010, I got laid off. I didn't have a job for two months. Now, let me tell you how significant that was. It was significant because the same week that I got laid off, I had just signed um, the mortgage of the new house. And my wife had just had our second son, Isaac. So in one week, we had a new baby, a brand new house that I could no longer pay for, another mouth to feed, and no paycheck. So we move into this house, and what happens? Anxiety takes over, right? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? No income coming in. So I start searching all over the place for jobs. I'm looking, I'm filling out every application that I possibly could. And what happens for the first month? Nothing. No phone calls, no returns. But about a month in, I begin to realize, I'm like, wait, hold on. Like, we haven't missed a bill yet. I don't know how this is happening. And my wife goes to check the mail one day, and this was in 2010, and our mortgage was due literally the following day. And uh, I think it's a, a Sunday, or it was like a Saturday, and I think our mortgage was due on a Monday, and we had nothing. She calls me and she says, you'll never believe this. She said the previous owners of the house that we bought the house from said that they never had a chance to paint. And they wanted to send us some money to paint if we wanted to paint. And they sent us a $2,000 check. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. 
Now, fast forward to almost three years ago, we're planting this church. Well, as we're starting this church, um, my wife and I at the time were still living in Jennings, so we're driving back and forth every Sunday, and I'm driving back and forth here almost every day. And so we're so eager to move here, to get a house here, to settle into the community that we plan on devoting and committing the rest of our lives to. Like, it was driving me crazy that I was still living in Jennings. So we put our house up for sale, and we start saving money, and we've got enough money saved up to put down on the down payment of our house. And in a matter of a week, all the money that we had saved up, my, my van broke down, and I had to replace, like, the transmission on it, which cost me about $1,500. Then my wife ended up having this horrible, thing, like, kidney infection that ended up costing us a few thousand dollars. In a matter of a week, everything that we had saved to buy this house here in Crowley was gone. So here I am again, going, what, man, what are we going to do? We just... We just had put an offer on that house, and it's already going through, and now i got to call up my realtor and say, hey, I don't have the money to put down on a house. So I called the realtor, and I said, hey, listen, man, we're going to have to back out. I don't have the money to put down on a house here. And as I'm on the phone with my realtor, this guy keeps beeping in my phone. I'm like, man, this guy is blowing up my phone. So I called the realtor and said, hey, man, something must be wrong. I need to answer this phone call. I answer this phone call, and it's this business guy, and he says, hey, um, I don't know why God just put you on my heart. He said, um, God told me to give you something. I want you to drive to my office. What do you mean, drive to your office? So I call my realtor, and I said, hey, man, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. So I drive to Crowley. I drive to this guy's office, and he literally hands me a $5,000 check. You know how much I needed down for my house? $5,000. I'm driving back home, and not only do I need $5,000, I need the first payment for our insurance, which is $1,200, and I get this phone call from this guy who I haven't spoke to in about three years, and he says, I don't know why God told me to put a check in the mail for $1,200. In a matter of two hours, God had already worked everything out. Okay, so fast forward... To this week, my wife is at Dollar Tree, the place where dreams go to die. (laughs) And she calls me, I'm in Lafayette at this meeting, and she says, have you checked our account lately? That's never a good call, right? (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, "My, my debit card won't work. I said, okay. Um, so I open immediately, I open our, our bank app, and I see that there's almost over, there's $2,200 in fraudulent charges. So somebody had hacked my account. Um, and so I'm like, okay, uh, what are we going to do? So I call my bank, and I said, hey, listen, you know, um, I'm not in Baton Rouge, (laughs) and somebody in Baton Rouge is blowing up my card right now. And they blow it up to a certain point, you know, when when you don't have it anymore, it just shuts off. (laughs) And so they just shut the card down, 
And the lady on the phone says, okay, Mr. McCann, you know, we're going to do everything that we can to, you know, reverse the charges and we'll make sure we get you your money back, but it could take a week. Like, I, I don't have a week to wait. So this was, uh, this was Monday that this happened. Um, well, on Wednesday, my, my mortgage for this house that we're in now is due, okay? Well, I have the money in my account, which is now frozen, that I cannot pay because my account is frozen. So I'm like, what are we going to do? So the same day that the account gets hacked, I'm in Lafayette. I was like, okay, I'm going to drive. I'm going to go drive to the branch in Jennings and see if we can work something out. I'm driving to Jennings, and my wife gets a phone call, and she says, hey, um, were you expecting anything from the previous mortgage people that we used to have the house from? And I said, no. She said, well, there's two checks in the mail, one for $300 and one for $500. I said, What? Yeah, they were saying that we overpaid on the payoff of our house. Okay? So fast forward to a few days, and so we have that money, we cash that money, which we're able to do things with that, but I still have this looming, I got to pay my rent, right? What are we going to do? And I would like to tell you that I could just, I just sat back and I'm like, man, God has been so faithful for us in the past, and he's just going to provide again. To be honest with you, I was angry. And I was frustrated, and I was, ang- I was mad, and honestly, I was at a point where I'm like, God, where are you? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I'm mad, and I'd like to tell you that I was so full of faith, but I wasn't. Well, fast forward to Thursday, my wife calls me, and she says, um, she said, I don't know how to tell you this, but... Uh, there's two more things in from the previous mortgage company. I said, what do you, what do you mean? So yeah, there's a, one check for $300 and there's another check for $1,200. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So I take that, we're able to pay everything. Actually, Friday, my account unfroze and freed up everything. Here's what's the coolest thing about this whole story, though. You know how much money was taken out of my account? $2,200. You know how much money I got from my mortgage company? $2,200. Now, now, let me tell you something about this. I look at the span of my life, and that's the story of my life. And I started putting the pieces together, and I started realizing that every time that I came to the point where I was just like, God, I'm done, I give up, God came through. Every time I was ready to quit, every time I was ready to throw in the towel, every time that I thought that God forgot about me, and I finally was just like, okay, God, I trust you, it's in your hands. And immediately, I was like, God provided, and God came through. And I began to realize something. I can't allow the environment that I find myself in to cause me to forget how good God has been. And listen, there's many of you, you find yourself in the same situation. Maybe you're in a tight crunch in a marriage situation. You're going, I don't know what to do. Listen, you got to get to surrender. You got to get to the place where you go, I don't know what to do. So the only thing I can do is say, God, here I am. And oftentimes in those moments, God is calling you to step outside of yourself, stop thinking about yourself, and get your eyes on somebody else. And when we do that, God says, okay, now you got it. Now you're thinking kingdom rather than self. 
Now you're thinking about a legacy. Now you're thinking about something that is going to outlive you. It's not all about you anymore. It's about others. It's about leaving something behind. I'm at a place in life where I want to refuse to allow the downtimes to dictate the life that I live. And too many of us find ourselves there. We find ourselves going through turbulent seasons and it dictates the outcome of the attitude that we have towards God. Can I just be real honest with you as your pastor, and hopefully this would be refreshing to you, that I'm just a normal guy. I have the same problems that you do. To to be honest with you, there has been times, even recently, where I've wanted to throw in the towel and quit. Be like, this is too hard. Even last week, where I feel like, man, I pour and I invest into people, and then people just don't get it sometimes. My dad used to say it all the time, you know, he's like, we're all, as pastors, you're tending sheep. And he said, some sheep, they have some sharp teeth. I'm starting to realize that now. But here's the truth. I don't want to dictate my life based on other people's response toward me. Because here's what I've realized. There's always going to be people that are going to complain. There's always going to be people that disagree with us. There's always going to be people that don't want us to do what God's called us to do. I've never shared this story but here, here before. When we first came to the city, I had to stand before city council and tell them what we were going to do because we're using a city building. And I had a guy stand up in the city meeting and he says, why don't you just go home? We don't need another church here. Listen, there are people that are more interested in seeing you fail than they are succeed. Here's what I want you to understand. No matter what happens here within this church, or in your life, we have to think legacy. And we have to stop allowing the certain things that come into our life, like the bumps in the roads or the disappointments from other people, to dictate the quality of life that we choose to live. Because here's what I've learned about God. It's a journey. And sometimes you walk through seasons where you don't understand, but I want you to understand something. God sees the whole picture. I had this thought the other day. As human beings, you know, we're, we're interested in things beyond this earth, right? So what have we done? We've, we've fashioned like these high quality uh, pieces of glass where we can, we call them telescopes, and we can look at a certain galaxy and certain stars. And when we can marvel at it, man, that's incredible, it's amazing. And it kind of gave me an inroad of just to how we see life. And we look through this telescope and we can marvel at all the things, but God's at the under, other end of the telescope saying, hey, I see it all. <laughs> I see it all. I don't need a telescope to dictate what I can see. He says, I can see the whole picture. And here's what I'm learning in this season of my life, that I've just got to trust God. And I've got to get my eyes off of my situation and what I'm going through. And when I come to a place of surrender, here's what happens. Man, I can start thinking about the kingdom. I can start thinking about legacy. I can start thinking about something that lives beyond myself. I never want to forget that there is more to this life than this life. And that what you have right here today, there's so much more to it. That one day, every single person, regardless of what creed you have, regardless of what your faith looks like right now, every single person will stand before Jesus and declare him as Lord one day. 
And it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to come into this place of that, man, I'm just here and I just got to survive in this world and I just want to have a good quality of life. And we forget that there's so much more to life than this. I don't know about you, but I want to be just like Mary. I want to do what I can. I want to do what I can. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing this morning. I want to challenge you to do what you can. I want to challenge you, man, if you don't serve here, jump on board in the mission. If you don't give, jump on board. God, what can I do to be a part of this? It's so easy. It's so easy to forget about others, to think about ourselves. But revolutions, revivals, they all happen whenever people take their eyes off of themselves and they devote it to a mission that is greater than themselves. You have an opportunity to be part of the greatest force on the earth, which is the kingdom of God. The only force on the earth that is going to make an eternal impact on people's lives. And when I've wanted to quit, when I've wanted to give up, the thing that I constantly reflect on is to see, man, people that have been raised to life, people that we look at and their lives are completely different today than where they were three years ago. God has great things for this church, and I'm absolutely confident that this church will leave behind a legacy. But it can't just be a handful of people that understand this vision. It has to be a thing that we do together. And we understand, man, this, this is who we are. As a people, as a church, like we're all about leaving a legacy. We're all about impacting this city and seeing great things happen here in this city and within this church.